scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 11 through 15, and verses 33 through 44. John, chapter 11, verses 11 through 15, and verses 33 through 44. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew directly in front of you, you can find these scriptures on page uh, 951, beginning on page 951. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now verses 33 through 44. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Good morning. What a powerful experience we've just heard read to us. A true occasion that took place in the life of Jesus. I look forward to us studying that together in just a moment. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. And we want to be uh, an encouragement back to you. We've had a very encouraging weekend. Uh, when we think about the opportunities that God gives us to do good, it really is amazing because God not only provides the opportunities, but He always provides the resources because that's the only way we have the opportunity to do good is that He provides first. Saturday morning early, a, a large group of 50 at least gathered here and put together Christmas baskets for shut-ins and widows and widowers and 90 of those baskets were delivered. And then before that could be completed, the uh, plans and preparations began for the hot chocolate giveaway that would be taking place in conjunction with the Christmas parade here in Mount Juliet. 21 gallons, 550 cups were made and given away. And, uh, you know, some of you are probably saying, I don't see how they do that. How, how do they make that much hot chocolate? We usually don't tell people our secret, but we'll, let, we'll go ahead and this is the secret right here. Um, that's... That's how you do it. 
And uh, some people don't believe in child labor, but uh, you can really get a lot done if you'll use everybody from the oldest to the youngest. Uh, but we did use a few adults, and then the, the serving was by adults as well as our teenagers came out and, and walked up and down the parade, uh, passing out uh, hot chocolate also. And in addition, passed out 30 uh, DVDs of, or CDs of sermons and uh, just an effort to get the word of the Lord out. And uh, in, in that, give the invitation to come visit with us and come worship with us sometime. And uh, everybody enjoyed it that received it. And to all that served, uh, we say a big thank you. We truly want to be the best neighbors in the neighborhood. If the Lord's church is not that, the Lord's church is missing it somewhere uh, as a congregation. And we truly want to be what God has designed for us to be. Also, as already mentioned in the prayer, yesterday it was an amazing time when our conference, about 15 from this congregation, presented or served on a panel uh, to tell others that wanted to know more about the 12 Questions campaign, the mechanics of that. And it was really an amazing time. Guys flew in from Oklahoma and others from Texas, and then even those drove down from Illinois and Kentucky and all three regions of Tennessee. It was, it was really a, an amazing gathering and very fruitful, we hope and to God be the glory in that and to everyone that's been praying about that and to everyone that had a hand in the 12 questions campaign which literally was most of you in this room hundreds upon hundreds of you and uh, it truly is a blessing to serve God and the greater uh, or the great part of that blessing is to tell others about the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ and what a blessing that is Tonight, those of you that are widows or widowers, you're invited to a tremendous treat. Uh, the melting pot class, immediately following the services, will have buses here, and uh, they invite you to join them as you will drive through the dancing lights of Christmas at Jellystone Park. And then when you return from that, you'll come here to enjoy uh, dessert and coffee and just good fellowship time together. And they would like to do that uh, because they love you. And, uh, and they appreciate you. And we hope that, that that's something that uh, you can be a part of. As we're also speaking about good news, we're thankful to be able to say to you, several have been asking, Tracy Martin came through her surgery very well Friday evening, and the great news was that the cancer has not spread. And the other part of the good news is she should be able to come home this afternoon or at the latest in the morning. And, and we thank God for that and for this good family. Uh, Tim is a tremendous blessing on our staff here as our educational minister, and, uh, and, and we love Tim and Tracy and Presley dearly. June 18, 1815, a man stood in one of England's cathedral towers, staring out at the water, looking for a specific ship that was supposed to send back message of whether or not it would be the victor would go to the Duke of Wellington or would it go to Napoleon? And he waited. And just as the fog was settling in, he was fortunate to be able to see the lanterns but receive a sad message. Wellington defeated. He spread the news around England and people were very sad. They lost. But yet, the fog lifted and the man gazed back at the ship and realized that the message was being sent again. 
And you see, the fog had blocked the rest of the message. The message instead was Wellington defeated the enemy. What a difference. That word spread, and the doom and gloom turned to happiness and cheer and celebration. Can I state the obvious? There's a big difference in loss and victory. There's a big difference in death and life. It wasn't just the cowardness of Pilate that put Jesus upon the cross. It wasn't just the soldiers of Rome doing their job that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't just the envy of the Jews that put Jesus on the cross. It was David Shannon's sin. And it was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. And it was just before he died that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And three days later, we received an answer in action that the Father had not completely forsaken him, that he wasn't deserted. Instead, the one who is dead, Jesus Christ, is now alive. And can you imagine, can you imagine being a close friend of Jesus? Or can you even just imagine being one in, in Jerusalem that was a disciple? Or even just one in Jerusalem that knew that a man named Jesus died the other day? And can you imagine the news that spread where the doom and gloom turned to happiness? The loss was now victory. The death is now life. It's all the difference. It's all the difference. And what difference does it make for you? And what difference does it make for us as we think about those individuals that would have been so thrilled that the individual that they loved, Jesus Christ, was now alive. I can only imagine that in time, and probably in a short order of time, they would come to realize that there's much more here to be joyful about than just the fact that an individual they loved is now alive. Can you imagine as, as Peter and later on as Paul and all the apostles and preachers and teachers and all of those that became Christians as that Christian movement began. Can you imagine as it began to dawn on them what it really meant for Jesus to be alive? You see, Jesus being alive points to, to something tremendous. It points to the fact that he has power over death. It points to the fact that we too can have power over death. You see, when we read in the Gospel of John, we read about Jesus in the 11th chapter, raising Lazarus from the dead. And I'm not suggesting to you that, that it might be the wisest thing in the world to do. It could be futile or perhaps foolish. But for just a moment, think with me. If you had to rank the miracles of Jesus, wouldn't you have to take the resurrection of Lazarus as one of the greatest miracles? I mean, yes, it's amazing to take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000. 
It's amazing to to have someone that's blind and and give them sight. It's amazing to take someone who's lame or paralyzed and and allow them to be able to walk with your power. Yes, those things are amazing. And that's why it becomes kind of futile. But it's very important for us at least this morning to pause and say, what's the impact of John the 11th chapter? You see, when Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he performed that miracle in three words. Lazarus, come forth. It could have been a very, very, very short chapter, but instead, it's a pretty long chapter. Because all that needs to be said and taught, if we're going to talk about a man who can raise the dead, there is a powerful message that goes beyond just the life of Lazarus. It shows us that he has power over death. But then in an optimistic way, some believe that it was as close as a week and a half until he himself would die. And so in an optimistic way, it also shows him that as he's going to the cross, there's power over death. In a prophetic way, he's showing us that when we die, if we believe in him and we have life in his name, the very reason that the gospel of John is written, the reason these signs are recorded, it prophetically tells us that we too can have life beyond the physical death in Jesus Christ. What an amazing, amazing story. Well, the question though is, do you need this lesson? You know, trying to figure out if all of us here this morning needed this lesson, I I did some pretty in-depth research. And, um, you know, I tried to put enough time into research to be accurate, and so I gave this a lot of research. And let me tell you what I came up with. In this room, the mortality rate is 100%. That's all the scientific studies. You know, you could go around and you could interview the 7 billion people on this earth and you're not going to interview anybody 200 years old. You're not going to talk to anybody 350 years old. You're not going to talk to anybody 150 years old. You're not going to live physically, your soul, in this body forever. And you and I are very foolish if we do not have an exit plan. You know, several decades ago, there was a popular sermon that was preached. And the sermon would begin, and it was preached by many of the greats, by a man going into his accountant once a year. And he would look across the desk and he would say to his accountant, I died last night. What are the state of my affairs? And they would talk about the impact upon his business and his family and everything because that was his way of saying, I want to always financially be prepared for death. Well, you know where this is going. How foolish is it to be sitting here this morning and death be unexpected for you? 
I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm trying to be realistic. It doesn't become much more foolish than for you to be sitting there right now and, and if you could honestly say, I really haven't thought much about death. I've really made no provisions for death. Do you think you escape it? And if not, what is going to happen? Is there hope after death? And if, is, if there is hope, how is that hope provided? And who can provide that hope? And have you come to him? You see, not only in John the 11th chapter do we have the great story of the resurrection of Lazarus, we also have one of the seven great I am statements. And verse 25 is where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he tells us that if we'll believe in him, that we can have that resurrection. And so let's go back this morning and let's look at some of these things that in this long chapter, we can't bring it all out, but let's look at, at some of this and let's see what is it that we could learn that would help us be prepared, not just for death, but more importantly, be prepared to live. That's the victory, is when we are prepared to pass through death and live eternally. And John the 11th chapter, let's go to verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Isn't it interesting that Lazarus was one that at the end there, verse 3, it was one that the Lord loved. Now listen, God loves everybody. And you, we shouldn't take that lightly. That's a beautiful statement I just said. God loves everybody. And the highest love is agape. And it's the, it's the, the, the focus, the sacrifice, the unconditional willingness to do what is right and best towards someone. That's why we are capable of loving our enemies as well as loving our family. That's not the same thing. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. And, and, and so you can love a friend. You can love family. You can love enemies. You can love those that are difficult to get along with. And, and you say, how can you love? Well, you see, the highest love is not built upon emotion. The highest love is built upon a commitment, a decision that says, I am deciding no matter what you have done to me, if you've been warm and friendly to me, or if you've been hateful and harmful to me, I am making a decision to do what is right and best in return to you. God agapes everybody. When Jesus was on this earth, he agaped everyone. But there is a friendship, an emotional, warm type of love, philea. That is the Greek word here in verse 3 when he says that Jesus filleted him. It, it, is, it is the idea that Jesus had a warm kindred spirit with him. Jesus liked him. He enjoyed spending time with him. Now pause there for a moment. Does that make you uncomfortable? You mean to tell me someone that Jesus loved to be around? Jesus would let grow sick? This is the same Jesus that, that we study about all throughout the Gospels of going into places and healing the sick, casting out the demons, getting rid of diseases, 
giving sight to the blind, strength to lame legs. You're telling me he's a close friend of Lazarus and he, he let him what? He let him get sick. Isn't it interesting that when we see what the sisters did, Mary and Martha, in this time of sickness, they turned to Jesus. Now, if you want just a little side note on this next slide, you get a picture of kind of where Bethany was. It was very close to Jerusalem, just a few miles east of Jerusalem. I'd like to take your minds back to that problem of sickness again, though. Why do we get sick? And why do we die? I'm not suggesting to you that I can answer all the questions that we could dream up about this, but you see Lazarus' problem is our problem. And it's a problem that we can take all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. Looking with Adam and Eve in Genesis, the second chapter, God is giving them instruction. And he says in verse 16 and 17, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And in the third chapter, we see that Adam and Eve did eat of that tree, and the death there was an immediate separation from God, spiritually that eventually led to a physical death. You see, it is sin that has brought disease and sickness and death. You see, from that time forward, it was never meant for this physical body to be immortal. It was never meant for this earth to become perfect or like heaven. And as long as we live here, there's going to be the sowing and reaping of our human race. And we're going to deal with life that grows sick, tired, weary, even unto death. When we look at 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we have some keen insight to how Jesus views sickness and death. Look what he says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and 24 when he speaks of the end. Then comes the end when he, talking about Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. And when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, pause there for a moment. How much power does death have? We've already talked about this morning. Death has more power than we have. If you had enough power, you would say, death, you're not going to take my loved one. If you had enough power, you might say, death, you're not going to take me. But the reality is, we don't have that much power. So here's the question. Is there anyone that has more power than death has? Let's look when Jesus comes back again, verse 25. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. As the poet said, death, thou shalt die. Why is death going to die? Because Jesus Christ is going to put an end to all power, to all authority, including the enemy of death. And then you hear in your other ear Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. You hear him saying, believe in me, come to me. I can let you pass through death and give you life. And one day, eternally, death is going to die and we will live in immortal bodies forever. 
forever. It is at the end of that very same chapter that it's almost as if Paul is taunting or, or, or mocking death when he says, in a poetic way, Oh, death, where is your steam? Oh, grave, where is your victory? But then two verses later he says, But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a huge difference in loss and victory, death and life, eternal death or condemnation and eternal life. If you had the power to say, I am the resurrection to eternal life, you would be the Savior. You would be able to say right now, I can resurrect anyone from the dead because I have power over death. But you and I know we don't have that power. And therefore, we do not have it to speak of eternally unless we turn to the one who does have the power. As we go back to John, the 11th chapter, I'd like for you to notice the survivor's perplexity perplexes us even today also. When Martha runs out to meet Jesus, and at this point, Mary's not there, it's just Martha. And notice in John, the 11th chapter and 21, the first thing she says to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You see, she knew the power of Jesus. She knew, I guess, how easy it seemed for Jesus to heal someone. Jesus, it's this simple. If you would have been here, you would have healed him. He'd still be alive today. Notice when she goes later and whispers in Mary's ear, Jesus is outside and Mary quietly disappears and runs to seek Jesus. I'd like for you to notice the first thing in verse 32 on the next slide. Notice the first thing that Mary says. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, what? Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. You think they'd already talked about that? And then listen to even what the Jews said that were standing around. In John, the 11th chapter, and verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Martha said it. Mary said it. The Jews standing around. Everybody knew it. He had the power. If he would have just been here, our friend, the one that we love, would not be dead right now because he would have healed him before he would have died. You see, there seems to be a little bit of doubt and maybe not even a thought. Hey, if he can heal the sick and give sight to the blind, do you think there's a chance that he could resurrect the dead? That's why we read this great story is to teach us of the power of Jesus. You see, when we go back to John, the 11th chapter and verse 4, he prophesied to his disciples. When he first received the message, he was not in Bethany. It'd be four days before he would choose to go back and show up in Bethany. And when he heard this, he went ahead and told the disciples why he was going to wait and what he was going to accomplish in this. And look in verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Now think about this for just a moment. He's going to die. But what Jesus is saying is, that's not how this is going to end. That's not going to be it. Usually we say that's the end, right? Well, they were sick, they were sick. We were hoping they would get better. They seemed to get a little bit better. But then they were sick and then they died. 
For us, that's the end of the story, physically speaking. And so Jesus is saying, listen, when they declare Lazarus dead, that's not going to be the end of this story. Read the rest of this. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I'm going to resurrect him from the dead so that people will see the power of God. They can glorify me as the Son of God. And why, Jesus, are you just that arrogant? You want everybody seeing you? No, I want them to see that I can give them life. Jesus loves you so much that he wants you to live eternally with him. And if you do not want to come to him as the provider of life, he will not make you. He loves you that much. He's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. But you can decide to come and lay down your life and become a disciple of his. Come to the one who can give life. Now, when we read further about this time, we see the humanity of Jesus intermingled tightly with the divinity of Jesus as he dealt with this painful situation. I'd like to take your eyes down to verse 33. Skip down to verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Notice here, we have Jesus saw them weeping. He saw Mary and Martha weeping. And the Greek word here is, is actually the idea of, of not just the shedding of tears. It's the emotion of crying. It's where you would hear someone crying. You would see their shoulders pull in. And, and he sees this. And then notice it says, Jesus groaned. That's an outward. You would have heard Jesus give out a, 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 a troublesome, oh! And then... This is a reflexive verb, and, and, and so it's not exactly easy to understand here. But, but what he's saying is that he groaned and allowed himself to be troubled. In other words, it would have been easy for him to just say, I'm going to resurrect him. Everybody dry it up. There's no reason here. Why didn't he do that? Some of you have been soldiers. Perhaps still are. Maybe you've seen a village after the enemy's been through it. The rest of us envision it in movies that we've seen. You imagine coming into a village. The enemy's already there. You clench your fist and you're too late. And you look around at, at what the enemy has done. You look at those that are dead and you look at those that are mourning the dead. And what do you do? Ugh! That's what he, Jesus did here. Ugh! And he allowed himself. Why? Because in a week and a half, he knows he's going head to head with his enemy, death. And he knows that the reason he's going to die on the cross is because he wants to put an end to this. And he knows that the only hope is that people have to believe that he's the life. And there's going to be many people that look at him and walk away from the life. Doesn't it hurt when someone you love walks into pain and destruction? And Jesus is looking at all of this. And it's summed up in two words. Jesus wept. Why does a man cry if he knows he's about to resurrect Lazarus? He wasn't crying for Lazarus. 
He was crying because of the enemy and what it does and how it hurts and how it truly is destructive. And so the miracle is seen in John the 11th chapter and verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, she's the A-type personality we see clearly in this chapter. She's the sister and she's going to jump out there and try to save the embarrassment. You can all picture this. This is, this is her, her brother. The Jews did not embalm. They simply wrapped in cloth and they put spices on the body. And four days in the tomb, there, there's going to be a very, very uncomfortable situation. Jesus, if you roll the stone away, this is going to be embarrassing. You don't want to do this, Jesus. There's going to be a smell. The stone was to keep the garment, the, the, the varmints out. The beast that would harm the body. But the stone was also to keep the stench in. So that people could pass by relatively close. In verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you if you'd believe you'd see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone. So imagine this, now the stone is rolled away. And Jesus looks up into heaven, look at the rest of 41. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you have always heard me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. Again, the very purpose that the Gospel of John has written, the very purpose that Jesus performed this miracle. He didn't perform this miracle so people would just walk around saying, one time I saw a man resurrect somebody from the dead. He's performing this miracle to say, do you realize that I can give you eternal life? Do you realize that I have conquered death? Do you realize that we can live forever together. Please don't get wrapped up in this one moment and please see the bigger picture. Lord, I'm saying this prayer to you because I'm thankful that you always hear me. I'm saying this prayer out loud to you because I want everybody else here to realize I'm your son and I've come to this earth to seek and to save the lost. And so in verse 43, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. It's been said many times and it makes you think. Some have said the reason that he had to say Lazarus first because if Jesus, the power that he has in his commands, if he would have just said to the dead, come forth, every dead corpse within the sound of his voice would have come out of the grave. That's how powerful he is. And so he said, Lazarus, come here and now. That's what come means. It has to do with location and time. Come here and now. Come forth, come out. Out of where? Well, out of the tomb. But that wasn't the only thing holding Lazarus there. Out of what? Out of death. Whoa, Jesus, he died four days ago. I know. Come out of death. I'm bringing you from the realm of the dead. Come out of the tomb. Show the glory of God. And those same brave souls that rode that stone away were probably the ones that obeyed that next command when Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Can you imagine being the one that pulls that cloth off Lazarus' face and there's not a decayed body there. There's flesh. There's blood flow. There's a beautiful complexion. There's a smiling face. There's life. Loosen him up. Death isn't holding him. Let him go. What I learned today 
Number one, I learned that sickness and death are inevitable. Number two, I learned that Jesus shares in our sorrow. He wept for those as they were weeping. Number three, I learned that eternal death or eternal life are choices we make. Please let that sink in. If you're not prepared for death, you're making a choice. You're making a choice to pass through this life and into eternity without the resurrection of Jesus. Number four, when I come to Jesus, I'm choosing resurrection. Lord, you've helped me learn that there's a lot more than just this life, this earth, and the temporary things. You've helped me learn, Lord, that there's spiritual, that there's eternal, that there's divine being that is powerful and loving and wants to save. And now we stand at the side of a grave and instead of looking down and saying, it is the end, we realize that life swallows death and there is victory on the other side. This morning, if we can help you in any way, prepare for life that will pass through death. We would love and be honored to do that. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, that's our burial of the one that's spiritually dead so that we can be resurrected to spiritual life. Or maybe you have done that and you want to come back repenting of sins, confessing sins, and praying forgiveness. Maybe there's other things we could help you with. Prayer, study, whatever it is. If we can help you take the next step closer to the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, we'd be honored to do so. Come.